Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Good morning. Happy New Year. Good to be together, isn't it? Great to be baptizing Lacey today as well. Amazing. Uh, I don't know about you, I, I love the new year. Um, I love the idea of a, a, a kind of a blank canvas that's just waiting to be painted, and we can legitimately now talk about this summer and anticipate it, can't we? It's great. And uh, the bonkersness of Christmas is out the way. I don't know what it is about Christmas that brings out the bonkers in people, but it just does. And I think, I feel like the new year helps to focus the mind. It certainly does for me. And so uh, I'm hoping that uh, we achieve something of that this morning as well. Now, um, when I was growing up, I, uh, I went to a school where the expectation was essentially that in the summer months, you played cricket, and in the winter months, you played rugby. Uh, cricket's a great sport. This is a cricket bat. That's a cricket ball. Here are some wickets over here. I can see some of the guys, Jermaine, Alex, are just leaning forward loving this at the moment, aren't you? You guys love cricket. And uh, hopefully I can explain a little bit about the rules of cricket to you. It's a great game. When I lived in America, someone once said to me, that sounds slower than farming. <laughs> but it's actually a really exciting, skillful sport. And so um, the idea is if you're a batsman, if you're batting, these are your wickets, and the idea is to defend your wickets, okay? So the bowler will bowl at you from 22 yards away, and uh, you've got to try and uh, defend your wicket by making sure the ball doesn't hit the wickets, otherwise you're out, basically. Get it? Great. So the first thing you do when you come out to bat is you take your guard, if you're a batsman. Now, depending on the type of batsman you are, this will vary... Stay still. Stay still. Okay, great. And so to take your guard, you will know the best place for you to stand against one of these wickets. So it might be you stand against this here, the leg stump, or the off stump, or the middle stump. And so you look at the umpire, the referee, who's about uh, 25 yards away, and you say, Mr. Umpire, can you help me to find my mark, please? And you hold your bat like that, and he will say, yes, left, right, left, right. There it is, perfect. And you kind of make a mark like that, and then you stand there. And that's called taking your guard. So every time you bat, you stand against your mark. And that's the safest place for you to stand. Understand? Yeah. Great. PJ Smythe reminded me of the story. In the 1930s and 1940s, there was a, an Australian cricketer called um, Don Bradman. Don Bradman is regarded as the greatest cricketer of all time. He's actually, by some people, regarded as the greatest sportsman of all time. Because Don Bradman was an outstanding batsman, and he had a career average of 99.94. That means that every time he came into bat, you could expect him to make a century, 100 runs, which is outstanding. And it's not something that's very often done in cricket. Actually, if you make 100 runs in any cricket match, you're a decent cricketer. And uh, Don Bradman would come out, he'd take his guard, he'd make his mark, he'd take his guard, he'd make life completely miserable for the opposition for a number of hours, sometimes even days. And um, he would get to 100, and then he had an interesting habit, because the crowds would go wild, and he would say, okay, Mr. Umpire, can you help me take my guard again, please? Why did he do that? It's because when he got to 100, when he reached the milestone that he was going for, he realized, number one, that was the point at which he became vulnerable again. That was the point at which he was quite literally um, most likely to take his eye off the ball because he'd achieved something, he'd got to the end. But also for Don Bradman, 100 was just a start. He wanted to go on, he wanted to make 200, he wanted to win, he wanted to stay in the game, stay alive, defend his wicket. So essentially, he wanted to stay strong and he wanted to go again. Now, hopefully you've followed the analogy. Today is something like that. It's the start of a new year, full of possibility and promise and hope. 
And also with the year-in, year-out challenge of making sure that we keep our wickets, that we stay alive, that we retain our guard and stay in the game in order to push through previous boundaries. Today's an opportunity as we start 2019 as a body of believers again, to take our guard again, to steady ourselves in God, to remember our orders, to recall the things that he has said and done about us. We sung this morning, he has done great things. It's time to recall those things. Refocus the heart and the mind and go again. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty to be done out there. Plenty to uh, be involved in and play our part in this great drama that uh, God has set in motion and called us into and presides over. And we've got to make sure that we don't take our eye off the ball, not even for a minute. And we've got to regain and retain something of the urgency of the mission to see people called in to relationship with God, saved for all eternity. And so as we look at some of the practicalities of how we do this today, I want us to look at a passage together in uh, 1 Corinthians. So if you want to grab a Bible, follow along, it'll come up on the screen as well. And uh, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Uh, It's on page 1158 in the Bibles. Give you a moment just to get there. Okay, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. These commands are a call to us to watchfulness and to steadfastness. Watchfulness, steadfastness. Watchfulness over our own lives, steadfastness in the faith. We're not marking ourselves this morning against the leg stump or the off stump. We're marking ourselves against watchfulness in our walk with Jesus and steadfastness in believing the things he said. So let's look at these four things. So number one, be on your guard. We've already talked about uh, some of this using the cricketing analogy. I said at the start, it's a new year. It's time to go again. It's time to take up that safe position from which to advance again. In other translations of the Bible, this command is be watchful. We need to be watchful. We must be watchful for the return of Jesus. We've got to live with that hope and expectation in our hearts. That's our true north. And we've also got to be watchful in the here and now with regard to the influences in the world and the culture which will seek to corrode our faith this year. When things are rough this year, and there'll be times when they are, be watchful and live with hope that Jesus will come again and make all things right. But also, how can we live well today to best avoid shipwrecking our faith? What practices do we need to implement as we take our guard? And what practices and heart attitudes might we need to drag out into the light and deal with and put to death? My prayer for us all this year is that together we would grow, advance the gospel, grow closer to Jesus and to one another, and to avoid the tragedy of losing ground in any of these areas. This is our family. This is our tribe. This is where we coalesce. This gospel is what we coalesce around. Maybe that's all it needs from you in 2019, a resolution to believe that what it says in here is real. That when your emotions are up the creek or your body misbehaves or your boss is a tyrant, that Jesus has said in his word, this is my paraphrase, that you will experience these things. But take heart, I've overcome the world, and I'm doing something. I'm working all these things together for your good, for the good of the church. And I'm producing something in you. 
Something that um, has far greater eternal worth than anything you'll face in this life. Maybe in 2019, you just need to pin that on your heart. Maybe you need to moan less. Maybe you need to rejoice more. Be thankful. Thankfulness towards God shrinks out fear and pessimism and faithlessness. Last week, Matt encouraged us to become better at storytelling. And I think we must. This year, if God's doing something in your life, and by the way, he is, then tell. Tell someone. Tell the person next to you. Tell the church. Encourage, encourage us. That's how we keep our eyes and our hearts attuned to thanksgiving. We tell stories of the great things that God has done, and we remember that Jesus is good because of what he's done and what he's promised that he will do. That's why we take our guard and get ourselves on level footing. Now, there's a number of ways I think that we can do that, take our guard this year. So I'm going to look at three areas in which I think we can. And these are obvious, but I think they're worth repeating again and again. Number one, we can stay close to God. Keep a short account with him. Talk to him daily. Express your fears and your failings. Receive the grace and the forgiveness that you need to. Scripture says that he's slow to anger and that he's overflowing with love and that he has fresh mercy for you every day. Think about that. Fresh bread, fresh bedclothes, fresh water. All of these things are restorative and satisfying. They make life enjoyable. Christ is satisfying. Christ is enjoyable. Fresh mercy every day. Relational warmth and acceptance from your heavenly Father every day. And he is freely available to the heart that desires him because he desires you. When we pray as a church on the first Friday of every month or other times, or when we have worship nights as we will tonight, be there. Not because it earns you any sort of capital, but it's like fresh bread and cool water. It's sustaining and good, and you get to engage with the most important human activity there is. With your friends and brothers and sisters, relationship with God. Be there tonight. Second thing, stay close to God's word. There really isn't a life situation that this doesn't speak into in some way. I've proven that myself time and time again, and that's because it's God's actual words to you. It's important to practice hearing God's voice and discerning his will for your life in a number of different ways, but don't discredit the Bible by not first seeking God's direction for your life in here. We must increase our Bible literacy because it's like God's daily email directly into your inbox. He speaks to you through his word. Want to know what God's got for your marriage this year? It's in there. Your job, your money, how to look after those less fortunate than you, how to live in good relationship with your parents or your children. It's all in there. And it's, like any, it's unlike any other work of literature it's, it's because it has a living power. And you'll find life in here that you won't find in Shakespeare or Jordan Peterson or Tim Keller. That's because Jesus is fully man, so he understands exactly what it's like to live this life. But he's also fully God, and God knows everything. And he's given us instruction through his word. I've heard it said that reading the Bible is, uh, much like listening to a sermon or to sermons over the course of years, is like a stone that sits under a dripping tap and drips and drips. And each drip is almost imperceptible to the change of the stone. But over the course of years, that stone is dramatically changed. It's altered. It's shaped by the water. Stay close to the word. Stay close to the water of God's word. 
The Bible tells us how to live our best life by becoming more like and learning to love Jesus. And that is actually a decision of the will. And we need to be convinced that reading God's word, God's word is good for us. Otherwise, we'll just do it to either gain a tick in a register or we won't do it at all. And there are structures in place here at Gateway to help us to do that. So many of us are part of a community Bible reading group, small groups of us who read the same passage of Scripture each day and then text each other thoughts and insights as to how that word spoke to us. If you're not in one of those groups, feel free this morning to ask me or write it down on a Connect card and post it in the post box at the back, and um, we can get you connected with one of those groups. And if you're not a CBR, community Bible reading type of person, then get into some kind of a Bible reading plan. Read the word. It's good for you. Faith comes through hearing and reading the word. And if you don't usually do this as part of your um, daily routine as well, or part of your kind of general routine, then read other books as well. Read books about the Bible. Read books about what God is doing in um, humanity and in our lives. Some of you would have seen this, and if you haven't, there's a load of them on the Connect desk at the back, so please grab one. It's called the Discipleship Grid. And um, as elders, we've put together what we think is a helpful diet of things to do, things to read, things to kind of uh, understand better, to best build you up and best build us all up in this local body of believers that we call Gateway. There's some really good books on this, and it's a, it's a, it's a helpful resource to get a hold of. So grab one of those. And the final thing, then, is stay close to God's people. We're not a bomb shelter. We're not a wartime bunker. We're not meant to hear the sound of sirens in the world and run for cover in this building. Quite the opposite. We're meant to go from this place into the world. But this is also our HQ. The church is the place where we come and find identity as a child of God. The church is us, and this is where we find our place. And this is where we find out who our brother and sister is and who we are as we take our place at the dining table of God as a mother or a father or a sister or a brother. In Psalm 120 to 134, there's a series of 15 songs that were written by pilgrims as they returned to Jerusalem once a year to worship at the temple in Jerusalem with literally tens of thousands of people. Let me read from a couple. When I read the word Jerusalem, or Zion, as it was also known, think of gateway. This is how these people approached the gathering of the people of God. Psalm 122 says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. You can just imagine a kind of robustness and a security about being in the place of God and with God's people and a deep sense of belonging. Psalm 126 says, When the Lord's brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said amongst the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. Being with God and his people is meant to bring forth joy and brotherhood and sisterhood and worship and life and laughter. And look what it's saying here. When God brings us together, he has done great things for us. He is doing great things for us. And this is a bit of a paradigm shift for some of us, particularly if church is um, something that you do rather than something that you are, because Scripture says that we are the living temple, living stones, the place of God's residence. If getting to life group is a chore, or if serving is a chore, these things aren't always easy, but they are a blessing from God. 
Again, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. And then the nation said, surely the Lord has done great things amongst them. One of the things I get to do as a staff elder is fill in school application forms for people who want to send their kids to um, local church aided schools. And I had one recently from Josh and Zanel, and um, I was so impressed with what it said on there, and I thought I'd um, help you to understand the sorts of things that I have to um, kind of work through in categorizing people in the church. And I I want this to be a challenge to you. So it asked three questions about Josh and Zanel's family. It said, number one, is this family known to the church? The definition, you were a person who is not a frequent, but an occasional worshiper. Ouch. Next level up, is this family attached to the church? You are a regular but not frequent worshiper, a person who attends a monthly church service. Ouch. And then I like this one. Is this family at the heart of the church? You are a regular worshiper. And I would add fully committed to the aims of the church and loving the person in the chair next to you Sunday by Sunday, whether, you know, whoever that person is. In other words, are we in the trenches together? Are we ready to go over the top and lay down our lives to defend one another? It's good to be known by the church in the same way that it's good to be known by Jesus. But then again, every person came from him in the first place, and so every person is. It's good to be attached to the church. Again, every person came from him in the first place. In 2019, get into the heart of the church, because the church is at the heart of God's heart And it's what he loves and is operating through and revealing himself to the world through. In 2019, if you need to, get in off the sideline. Get into the heart of the church. Get in the game. And if you're not sure how, speak to one of us and let us help you to find your place. The next thing this verse says is, stand firm in the faith. The Corinthians to whom this was written to were distressingly absent in Christian stability and rootedness. We do not want to be like the type of church that Paul was writing to here. The Corinthians had lost their guard, and they were in trouble. Paul had planted this church some years back, and he'd moved on to Ephesus. And it's thought that kind of what prompted this letter was a a serious cocktail of serious division in the church, sexual immorality, social snobbery, and some pretty substantial theological confusion about things like marriage and divorce and paganism and orderliness and how the church was organized, and even about what happens to Christians when they die. They, They really were a mess. And into this, Paul writes, enough, stand firm. Don't fall over. Remember what you know to be true. Ground yourself in Christ today and every day. I've often said when I've stood up here that I go through a process most days where I need to stand firm again, remind myself who I am in Christ. I'm Richard. I'm called to do these things, and I've got a mandate from God to do them. That gives me confidence and courage, and it reminds me what I'm trying to achieve, and it's helpful, and it gives me strength, and it comes from God. In 2019, stand firm in the faith. And stand firm in faith. And if the ground beneath you feels slippery, then grab hold of the person next to you and regain your footing. We do this by praying for one another and teaching one another and loving one another and feeding one another. We do this in our life groups. We're going to be launching those in a few weeks' time. Get involved. We do that on Thursdays here at Gateway Gatherers. We do that in our worship bands. Get in the game. 
This phrase, stand firm, we, we see it elsewhere in Scripture. If you know the Exodus story, we'll actually be preaching a mini-series in Exodus later in the year, and we'll unpack this a little bit more. The people of Israel, God's people, are under terrible oppression in the land of Egypt, where Pharaoh and the Egyptians have enslaved the Israelites for hundreds of years and are treating them terribly. And you know the story. God sends Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And so along come the ten plagues, the final one of which is Pharaoh's oldest son dies and the firstborn in the land die. And then Pharaoh goes, I can't take this anymore. Get out. Just go. And so the Israelites leave under the leadership of Moses and they make it through the desert and they get to the Red Sea. And then suddenly they realize they're out of luck. The Red Sea is in front of them. They're not going to be able to carry on their journey. And so they start to grumble And they say, what are we going to do now, Moses? We've got no food or water. Moses, did you bring us out here because there wasn't enough grave space in Egypt? Is that what you're doing? It would be better for us to be slaves in Egypt than to die out here in the desert. Now, at the same time, Pharaoh realizes he's made a terrible mistake. All of his slave labor is gone. And so he kind of regains his kind of, for the Israelites, gets his army together, and they give chase. And so you're, you're now presented with this ultimate stuck-between-a-rock-and-a-hard-place situation. If the Israelites turn back, they face the most fearsome killing machine in the world, and if they go forward, they drown. And so they cry out. In Exodus 14, it says this, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. This is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. In a situation like that, it's completely hopeless. The last thing you want to do is stand firm. But God commands his people against all the troubles of the world, as he commands us today, to stand firm. The rest of that story sees Moses stretch out his staff, the seas part, the Israelites walk through, the Egyptians follow them into the sea. You know how it goes. They're breathing murder, chasing them down. The Israelites come out the other side. The sea closes over the Egyptians, and not one of them, including Pharaoh, comes out alive. They all drown. Why? Is it because of what the Israelites did? Did they have some kind of magic power to hold up the water? No. It's because they had a redeemer, who stood firm on their behalf. And that's every bit as true today in Jesus. Moses knew that. God knew that. There was certain and absolute death for the Israelites. They were out of options, facing certain death. The cords of death were wrapped around them. And into that situation, God says, stand firm. And then one of the greatest and most comprehensive victories in all of history is served up. God's people, through his grace alone, come through the waters. That's what's so powerful about baptism, as we'll see in a moment when Lacey gets in the water. We see the Exodus story repeated here. God bringing his people from a place of slavery and certain death through the water safely and into a promised land and into relationship. God draws us out to draw us in. Our God is doing great things. Stand firm, Gateway. God is doing great things, including and sometimes maybe even especially when we face our own Red Seas. Stand firm. 
This year, we're going to run hard at raising a substantial amount of money to rebuild these facilities. Of those of you who are part of the church will know, it's much more money than a church like ours would usually reach for. And some of you may ask, well, what's, what's wrong with this building? I, I can tell you, as the person whose responsibility it is to maintain these buildings, it's creaking. I was standing somewhere on this roof just on Friday trying to replace some tiles to stop a leak. It's creaking here, and in the top hall, it's much, much worse. And as elders, as those charged with the well-being of God's people, as shepherds whose job it is to think about the long-term sustainability of the flock, we don't feel permission from God not to do this. In fact, we feel like it would be a dereliction of our duties not to lead us into this enormous task, because we can't preach through a series like Acts like we are. And we can't talk about immovable red seas and God parting the seas and not take these kind of risks for God's people and for the next generation of God's people. It's not about having a, a lovely building. It's, it's, it's never been about that. It's about the facilities facilitating the mission so that in 20 and 50 and 200 years from now, people are still being baptized here, and kids are still learning about Jesus here, and the gospel is still being communicated here, and the lost and the sick and the hurting and the young and the fragile and the old and the lonely are still being served here, and God is still receiving his glory here. People often ask me, aren't you concerned? That's a lot of money. That's too big an ask. I used to uh, work in the corporate space, and uh, one of the things I used to have to do is kind of assess the financial viability of one company buying another. So in essence, I'd be saying to an investor, that's a good move, that's, that's, a, that's a good investment. So I'm not a complete stranger to this sort of thing, and neither are my fellow elders with all of their life experiences as well. In human terms, this is a mountain. But ask me if I'm nervous in God's ability to provide for it. The God who's spoke and 500 billion galaxies happened. The God who the Bible says owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. The God who the Bible says all things were created by and for. Am I nervous in his ability to provide? Not even for a minute. If we feel the call of God on us to rebuild these facilities, frankly, you could double the price. You could quadruple the price. Is anything impossible for God? When God speaks, Red Seas part. His people pass through. They inherit the land. The temple is established. And God receives his glory. You'll come up against some Red Seas in 2019. We all will. Stand firm. The next thing this, uh, this passage says is, be courageous, be strong. And that, that simply speaks for itself. To be on a mission with God that will literally bring resolution to all of history and solve every problem of humanity will require from us, to say the very least, great courage. And so we need to be practical about this and think about the areas in our lives in which we need to do that this year. Maybe we need to be more courageous in our witness. Maybe we need to be more courageous in how and what we pray for, in how we deal with sin in our lives in how we offer ourselves in service to this mission that we're on. In another translation of the Bible, this part actually says, act like a man, which is to say that man or woman develop an adult maturity and gravitas about your witness, which is fully developed, statesmanlike, steadfast, brings faith to faithless situations because you've seen the battle before and you've tasted God's victory time and time again. 
That's what it means to be courageous. In the Old Testament, this phrase uh, is often used um, when encouraging, especially soldiers, to act with courage and strength and obedience to the Lord and with confidence in his power. If we're to learn anything about how this gospel shapes us, it's that it does so, and that God does so, to make us more like Christ, who was fully mature in the faith, such that when the battle cry sounded for him, he didn't run for the hills, he climbed a hill with a wooden cross strapped to his back and went to death to take away our sins. That's maturity. That's courage. That's acting like a man. Having courage as a Christian means choosing thankfulness over whinging. It chooses faithfulness over flightiness. Do what you say you're going to do. It chooses commitment over hedging your bets. It chooses faith over fear. I'm not a fortune teller, but here's a prediction. In 2019, you'll all be presented at times with opportunities to moan, to run from the fight, to ignore the plight of others, to be fearful. Being courageous, acting with mature faith, means that when, in 2019, when those situations arise, choose to stand firm. Take your guard. Be strong. Let those opportunities when you want to run for the hills because you're terrified and you can't take it anymore, let those be the moments that God hammers out uh, faith in your life like iron over an anvil. Let those be the moments when you remember that the battle is not won by your strength, by your might, by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's Christian courage and maturity, and that's what we're all called to. And then finally, this passage says, do everything in love. Jesus will bind us together and advance our mission. That much he has promised to do in his word. But the thing that we can do to play our part to each other and to the watching world is to choose to be a people of love. Don't come to the communion table on a Sunday if you're wound up with a person over there. I don't let my family sit down for a meal together if there's discord in my house. We sort stuff out, we resolve it, we talk it through, we try and do it in as adult a way as we can. And then we sit down and we enjoy the food and we enjoy each other and we talk and we talk about the things of God because we know that as a family, our primary purpose is to live for and glorify God. That's what we're called to, Gateway. Later on this summer, we'll be um, arranging um, a kind of a weekend away, a bit like the church day out that we had last year, if those of you, some of you will remember. Um, be, be there for that sort of thing. Prioritize that kind of thing. Those are good moments to take your place at the dining table with the people of God, brothers and sisters together. And of course, I can't finish a sermon like this without encouraging us to remember to love and serve and bring hope to the poor and to the downtrodden. There is so much need in our town and I'll happily talk to you about ways in which we can serve the homeless or the addict. But we also have structures here at Gateway to help us to serve the very old, the lonely, the widows, the widowers, victims of domestic violence, people with learning difficulty, internationals, strangers to a new country. Get stuck in. Ask someone how you can help and show love to those less fortunate than you. Before we knew Jesus, we were all in terrible poverty. And I believe that serving and loving the poor should in some way be expressed by every single person in this room in some way. It's our gospel mandate to do so. Let me finish just by reminding us of some of the key prophetic words that we're working to as a church family in 2019 and beyond so that we know our place at the table and how we can bring our gifts to the family heart. So I'm going to tell you four prophetic words now. The first one is gateway. 
at a 2008 prayer meeting at Citygate Church, a group of people uh, who were then part of Alder Road Baptist Church, which is what this church used to be called, were given a prophetic word. This is it. I think this is verbatim. I believe that God recommissions you tonight to be a mighty army in the community. God wants you to touch Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit and be a gateway into the kingdom of God. That's why we changed the name of this church to Gateway. We are Gateway, called to be a gateway into the kingdom of God. And so when you look around the church and think about the things that we're doing or the ways in which you can operate here, ask yourself this question, how is this helping to be a gateway for those who are outside the kingdom to come into the kingdom of God? The second word is, the words are living water. Uh, Just after we bought our um, building down on Ashley Road where our second, our other congregation meets, there were a bunch of people who all brought similar words at the same time about us being like two congregations on a hill, which geographically speaking we are, uh, and streams of living water running from those buildings into the streets and the communities around and filling up the valleys in between. That's an incredibly encouraging picture. It means that week after week, as we testify to what Jesus has done, preach the gospel, when we meet in homes, when we gather to pray, to serve the young, the old, people with learning difficulties, when we're in the domestic violence refuge, we are proclaiming the life of Jesus, and the living water of his life is somehow filling up our town. Be encouraged by that. The third word is more. Again, around the same time that we bought the building down at Ashley Road, someone had a picture of a word, and that word was more. They'd seen it on one of those more buses that we get around town, and it uh, stuck with them, and they brought it to the church, and it just kind of resonated with us all. In 2019, we're called to be a people of more. Our God is a God of more. Abundance of life, overflowing with grace, eternal Father, never-failing love. These things all speak of more. The harvest is ripe, Gateway. More disciples. The world needs the church. More leaders, more church planters like Ian and Lindsay going up to Glasgow. The church needs the power of God. More of the Holy Spirit's power. Come to the worship evening tonight. More fruit, more love, more power, more salvations, more baptisms, more people snatched from the clutches of Satan, just like Lacey was and will testify to in just a moment. More of Jesus. Believe it. Pray it, expect it, speak it to yourself. And then finally, Matthew had a word for us a few years back which really underlines everything I've said today and should call us to action. And the word was this. We're called to root down and to fruit up. Good fruit comes from healthy trees which grow from healthy roots. How do we grow healthy roots and let God develop a healthy root system in our lives? Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Let's pray. King Jesus, you are so good. Thank you that you have taken us from slavery, from darkness, from the tyranny of self, and you have brought us safely through the waters into relationship with you. Thank you that you have drawn us out to draw us in, and the only natural response for us is to worship you. And so, God, help us in 2019 to be a people of worship, to take our guard, to be courageous, to stand firm in the faith, to act like adults, to do everything in love. 
God, help us together this year to advance the gospel in our town and to the nations for your glory, because you alone are worthy of all the praise of all the people in this room and outside. King Jesus, have your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.